This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, everybody, today we have an interesting topic of Lagba Omer, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. A very fascinating topic. Uh, let's go right into it. Uh, so there's, there's two Gemara that I want to share with you. The first one is in Yabamot, and it's on page Samach Bet. I'm a bet in Yabamot, and over here, the famous uh, the Gemara, the Gemara tells us that Rabbi Kiva had. 12,000 pairs of students. He had 12,000 pairs of students. We know 12,000 pairs, that's 24,000 students. Why they call it 12,000 pairs? Because students are always broken into chavrutot. means when you learn the oral law, you're going to learn with someone else. It's very hard to learn by oneself. It's very important to learn with someone else. And that's why they call 12,000 um, Chavrutot, which is companions. 12,000 is uh, Zugot, the Zugot, pairs. 12,000 pairs of students. And uh, it says over here, Rabbi they were from uh, different places in Eretz Israel. They all died at one time. They wouldn't give honor to each other. Unfortunately, tragic, very tragic. They didn't give honor to each other. And the Jewish world was desolate. The world was desolate. Can you imagine? 24,000 students died all at the same time. So the world was desolate until, it says, Rabbi Kiva came to the rabbis in the south. Who are the rabbis in the south? The Gemara tells us. What are their names? Rabbi Meir Balanes. Now, we always know Rabbi Meir Balanes. You go to Tiberia, Tiberias. Right at the entrance of Tiberia is the, is the beautiful mausoleum they built from Meir Balanes, a massive building. And uh, you see Rameer Balanes, who is also reputed to do miracles, a miracle worker, Rameer, the miracle worker, that's his name, his title. Rameer Balanes, Rameer, the miracle worker. Rabbi Huda Barilai, who's also buried in that same area. Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yossi, and Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi, this is our Rabbi Shimon we're going to talk about, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, and Rabbi Lazar ben Shamoah, the five students of Rabbi Akiva, after the 24,000 students passed away, in the same time period, which we know is the time period of the Omer, which we're going to discuss. And here is Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai mentioned over here. He was one of the five major students of Rabbi Akiva. After this terrible episode, Rabbi Akiva brought new students, Baruch Hashem, and he taught them Torah. And from there, we get our today's oral law. We get our oral law from these five students of Rabbi Akiva. They're the ones who made the Torah stand up. In other words, they kept the Torah going at that time. Tana, then the Mishnah goes back. They died from Pesach until Shavuot. Okay. They died terrible deaths. Okay, so that's the story of Rabbi Kiva's 24,000 students. And uh, they died terrible deaths. Why? Because they wouldn't give honor to each other. It's very strange. They wouldn't give honor to each other. They didn't respect. The, pro- the point is they didn't respect each other's Torah. They didn't respect each other enough to give each other honor. Uh, what do you know? What do I know? I know more than you. I don't respect you. So they didn't respect each other. They didn't give each other honor. Some people say they gave each other honor. Of course, there's students from Akiva. Akiva's favorite saying was, I love your friend as yourself. So what is the issue? They didn't give each other enough honor. There's giving honor, there's giving enough honor. You know, there's a famous, uh, the Torah tells us that um, she felt hated. Leah felt hated, the Torah says. What do you mean she felt hated? Because it says he loved 
Rachel more than Leah. So Leah, the wife of Yaakov, felt hated. Why? Because Yaakov loved Rachel more than her. So we see that being loved not enough, you see someone else loved more, the person feels hated. They don't just feel not loved, they feel hated. So same thing over here. A person doesn't give enough honor to someone else, they don't just feel like you didn't give me enough honor. You didn't give me any honor, you must hate me as well. So maybe that's the reason why the students Rabbi Kiva, they passed away. And uh, then we have the famous Gemara in Shabbat, Lamed Gimel Amad Bet, 33b, and the, the Gemara discusses Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and, and the Romans. It was a terrible time, you have to understand. It was a very, very terrible time, physically in Jewish history. It was a, a time after, around the same time, Bar Kofa Revolt, and Hadrian, the new emperor Hadrian, had passed these terrible decrees on the Jewish people because there were revolts of Jews, not just in Israel, but around the world. The Barakoff revolt was, it was 135 CE after the destruction of the temple around 70 CE. So 65 years later, you have the Barakoff revolt, the terrible revolt against the uh, Roman Empire, which very, very nearly succeeded and killed a lot of Romans. Hence, the famous Roman Emperor Hadrian, who also built Hadrian's Wall. From, he was a general, a Roman general first sent to put down the Scots. He was the best Ro- Roman general at that time. And uh, when he put down the Scots, he built, again, he built a wall in Scotland called Hadrian's Wall. You can go there and see it's on the border of England and Scotland. He, he sent for emergency, sent to uh, Palestine at that time under the Romans. They called it Palestine. That's where the name Palestine came from. The Romans called it Palestine. It was called Judea before that. It was called Judea uh, from the tribe of Judah. So the Jewish state was called Judah. When the Romans destroyed the second temple in 70 CE, they changed the name to Palestine. They were so furious with the Jews and Judah revolting and rebelling. And causing trouble, they changed the name from Judea to Palestine. That's where the Palestinians, the origins of the word came from, not from the Palestinians themselves. They weren't around that time. It was just under Jews. The Jews were there, no Palestinians, Samaritans. The Samaritans were there, and the Jews were there, and, we, and some Greeks were there, and that's about it. There were no Palestinians around until the Arabs moved in when they conquered uh, Palestine at that time in around the 12th, uh, 11th, 12th century. And Richard I of England, Richard Lionheart, who uh, had the Crusades against the Muslims in what was then Palestine. So Israel's name was Judea, Judah, and the Romans changed the name to Palestine, unfortunately. And that's where this Palestinian issue started. It's not, it was never Palestine, it was Judea, it was a Jewish country. And uh, today it's a misnomer of the Palestinian issues. They came much later and nothing to do with, they went around that time. And you can read all the history books and you'll see if you go back to that age, you won't find a single Palestinian. Because <laughs> everyone became Palestinians after the Romans changed the name. The Jews were known as Palestinian Jews. Unfortunately, the word Judea was forgotten. Uh, we, we own Judea, it was forgotten anyway. So it was a terrible time for the Jews. And Hadrian was left in charge. And Hadrian came and he destroyed everything. He destroyed, uh, put down Bar Kokhba's revolt with tremendous cruelty. And he was then appointed the new emperor of Rome. 
he had this tremendous antipathy to Jews. He had this terrible antipathy to Israelites, to the people of Israel, and he passed numerous laws to break Judaism, to tremendously break Judaism. And he, he killed, under him, they killed 10 great rabbis, the 10 martyrs, including all the great rabbis of that generation, including Rabbi Akiva. That was a terrible, uh, all the Hadrianic edicts, a terrible Hadrianic edicts trying to break Judaism, the Jewish spirit. And thanks to Rabbi Akiva's five students that kept Judaism alive. They kept Judaism alive. So we have to thank Rabbi Akiva and his five students. But can you imagine how much Torah was lost when 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva were killed? So were they killed? Uh, the Gemara says they died terrible deaths. And uh, maybe they were on the Bar Kofa, supporting Bar Kofa. We know Rabbi Akiva was a tremendously avid supporter of Bar Kofa at one time. Maybe they went to join Bar Kofa against the Romans. But the Gemara says they died. So they died of illness. That's what it says. They died of illness. And unfortunately, a lot of Torah was lost. But Rabbi Akiva passes the chain of tradition down through his five students. So 10 great rabbis were martyred, including Rabbi Akiva, by the Romans. And these are the students of Rabbi Akiva who learned a lot of different places. And they escaped the Roman persecution. And they moved to the Galil. We know the Galil at that time was saved from the Romans by Josephus, who was appointed the general of the Galilee by Bar Kokhba, divided Israel into three parts. The Galilee was a different part. It was commanded by Josephus. And Josephus, after the fall of Gamla, which was a town in the Golan, Josephus saw the destruction, the Roman destruction of Gamla. He was the general of Gamla, and he saw he escaped. And he, had, unfortunately, or fortunately, he, he surrendered and he helped the Romans conquer the rest. But that's the reason why Galilee was not destroyed. And that's the reason why all the yeshivot, all the rabbis moved to the Galil. And that's where you'll find today all the great uh, Tanaim, the great rabbis from that period are buried right there in the Galilee. They're buried around Tiberia, around Sfat. All the great names from the, that period are buried over there. So what happened was that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was the student of Akiva. He was caught up in these Hadrianic persecutions, and the students of Akiva have a discussion. Three of the students, the Gemara tells us in Yibamot, on page 62b, the Gemara tells us that they had a discussion. Three great rabbis, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, Rabbi Yossi, and Rabbi Huda. They had a great discussion about the Romans. Now, they didn't realize there was a traitor among them, a talebearer who's going to go and report what they said to the Romans. So Rabbi Huda, Bar Eli, very much in favor of the Romans. He said, look, he praised the Romans. Maybe he knew there was a talebearer there. Probably not because he didn't warn anyone. But he's telling the other two, he said, look at the Romans, what they did for us. They built these beautiful roads. They built these beautiful bathhouses, you know, and uh, the Romans loved Rabbi Huda Barilai. He was very pro-Roman. And he, he was appointed by the Romans when they heard this to be the speaker the first speaker in any convocation, any gathering of Jews, Romans made sure Rabbi Huda Bar Eli, their great friend, would be the first speaker. And he was a, obviously Rabbi Huda Bar Eli is, is one of the greatest rabbis of that time, and he's mentioned nearly in every single Mishnah. Rameer Balanes, Rabbi Huda Bar Eli, and nearly Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Azar, they are the ones mentioned in the Mishnah Yod because the Mishnah Yod come from them. The Mishnah Yod come from the students of Rabbi Kiva. And uh, one of the great students we're going to talk about, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, was no other than Rabbi Huda Hanasi, who wrote the Mishnah. 
from Huda Nasi and there's editorship. The Mishnah was written, so he was a student of Rishim Bayuchai. Okay. So the Gemara tells us the three rabbis were meeting and they were discussing the Roman persecutions. And Rabbi Yudhubai lied, pro-Roman, they built beautiful roads, they built beautiful bathhouses, they built beautiful marketplaces, and Rabbi Shubhai says, yeah, they built roads to take tolls. They built bathhouses to charge money, and they built the, the uh, beautiful marketplaces to put their prostitution in places of lewd immorality, and that's the, what Rabbi Shubhai said. So he argued Rabbi, Rabbi Yehuda, who's anti-Roman. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, obviously, he witnessed his own rabbi being flayed alive by the Romans. He ripped off his skin, it says, on Yom Kippur. So you can imagine his feeding stools, the Romans were not the best, and he, sp- he spoke very badly against them, and Rabbi Yossi, it says, kept quiet. So when the Romans heard this through this uh, tale-bearer, they praised Rabbi Yehuda Bar Eli. they appointed him the first speaker in any meeting, gathering, and they... Uh, banned Rabbi Yossi, they, they banned him and made him run away and they wanted to kill Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. There was an edict to kill Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. When Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai heard this, he ran away. He went, he hid in the local Beit HaBidrash, in his local town, some people say it was Meron. And uh, then he saw the Romans are coming after him and he ran away with his son, Rabbi Lazar, and Rabbi Shimon, and they went and they hid in a cave in a place called Pekiin. Pekin today is a Druze village, and you, you have the same, the cave is there, the trees are there, the carob trees, the stream is there, and it's a place you can go and visit, and uh, just make sure you're well guarded when you go there, okay, it's uh, not the friendliest people there, I think there's, there used to be one Jewish woman still living in Pekin, it used to be a Jewish town, but today it became a Druze town, and it's right there, so you can see the cave where Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai uh, hid, so he hid over there for 12 years, at the end of 12 years, he had a voice, and him and his son were there in the cave, living off a stream and living off the carbs. And uh, there's an old synagogue there too. Go visit. Very, very, very interesting, extremely interesting, but there's no Jewish community there. All visitors. You go there, you'll see all visitors. And um, Pekin, town of Pekin. Most people don't know that's the time of Pekin. That's where the cave of Rishim Barichai was. So, anyway, so he lived there. And uh, most, of the, most of the people there are nice. Okay, so that's good. So anyway, so you go visit and see the cave that Rishon Barachid hid. It says that he didn't want to wear out his clothes. Him and his, his, uh, his uh, son, Rabbi Laza, would only wear clothes when they had to pray. Otherwise, they would bury themselves in the sand. And because of that, they, their skin got terribly worn out, eaten up. And after 12 years of sitting in the sand, if you imagine, hard to imagine. And on their diet, they show lost weight. Um, but they were learning all the time. And that's where Rabbi Shem Bar Yechai became one of his biggest Kabbalists ever. He got all his knowledge, it says, from Rabbi uh, Eliyahu, Eliyahu Anavi, who learned with him in the cave. That's the legend we're going to talk about tonight, Rabbi Shem Bar Yechai, the great Rabbi Shem Bar Yechai. But that is what the Gemara says. He hid in the cave for 12 years. He heard a voice come out. He comes outside the cave. And he and his son, Rabbi Lazar, see people who were busy with mundane activities. They were busy plowing fields. They were busy uh, doing mundane activity. And obviously, his, him and his son were very, very much gung-ho, just learned Torah all day like we did. 12 years in the cave, we learned Torah. 
you don't have to worry about mundane activities. Someone else will look after your mundane activities. And in fact, that's one of the opinions in the Gemara and Brachot, where Rabbi Shimon Bayechai and Rabbi Yishmael have a big debate. Is it better to sit and learn all day? Is it better to go to work and learn when you can? So Rabbi Shimon says it's better to you know, work part-time and, and learn part-time. And this way, you're guaranteed Derech uh, Eretz. You're guaranteed a future, which I'm going to talk about next week. Derech Eretz, our topic next week. Please join me. Don't forget Derech Eretz. And keep learning and keep working. That's Rabbi Shmael. And Rabbi Shimon Baruchai's motto was, no, just learn all day and Hashem will look after you. Other people will look after you. Hashem will look after you. That's today probably the source of the Kolel system today, where people go to work and they're supported by others. Okay, so that's Rabbi Shimon Baruchai. They walked outside the cave after 12 years. They see all these people plowing fields, doing mundane activities, and especially Rabbi Lazar, who, you know, young, younger people are more gung-ho. He, uh, he wanted to destroy the world at that time. That's the Hashem, you hear a voice, go back in your cave. I don't want you to destroy my world. <laughs> so they go back in the cave, and they come out after one year. And that's, by the way, we learned an interesting halakha, and that is, Rabbi Shem Barakai says over there, he says, we know that the wicked are in Gehenam only for one year after they die. That's where we get this custom of saying Kaddish, when a person dies, for less than one year. We don't say he's wicked completely, but the Kaddish helps to get a dead person. If they're in trouble in Gehenam, whatever it is, hell, Kaddish helps to get them out and raise their souls. So that's a very important idea we get from this story. That they, they made a call uh, of If the dead are in Gehenam for only one year, we should be in the cave for one year. We should not going to be in the cave for more than one year. So, after a year after, so 13 years in the cave, they come out this time, they see people doing mundane activities, and they ask this old man, he's carrying two bunches of myrtle. And they ask him, Why are you carrying the myrtle? He says, I'm carrying it in honor of Shabbat. I'm carrying it, taking it home, so my, the fragrance of the two branches, branches of myrtle will make a nice smell in my house, the Chabot Shabbat. They said, so why do you have two branches? Why do you have two bunches of myrtle? You should only have one. He told them one in honor of Shamor and one in honor of Zachor. One, there's two words used in the fourth of the Ten Commandments to honor Shabbat, keep Shabbat, and remember Shabbat. And he said, I'm Two bunches of myrtle, one in honor of keeping Shabbat, it's a negative side of Shabbat, one in honor of Zachor, which is the positive laws of Shabbat. And uh, that's why he had two bunches. And we also have two candles on Shabbat based on this story again, one for Zachor, one for Shamor. And because of that, Rabbi Shimon Barachai and Rabbi Laza looked at each other and they said, Baruch Hashem, the Jewish people are serving God. If they're not all learning Torah, at least they're serving God in other ways. There's other ways to serve God as well. And they come out of the cave. And where do they go? They go to Tiberias, Tiberias, not far from Herod. You can walk there. Well, it takes a while. It's about half an hour, uh, three quarters of an hour from Meron. So maybe more. Oh, no, it's more. Um, and anyway, so they walk to Meron. They walk to Tiberias from Meron. Sorry, they were in Pekin. They walked to Tiberias from Pekin, where they were hiding in the cave. And the first thing they did was take hot baths. There are beautiful hot springs in Tiberias. You can go there today, there's uh, buildings uh, with bathhouses using the famous hot water, which underground hot water of Tiberia. They had baths to heal their skin. That was the first uh, thing they needed to do, is heal their skin. 13 years buried under sand had taken a toll on their skin. And uh, it says Rabbi Pinchas bin Yair, who's buried in the cemetery in Sfat, 
he was the father-in-law of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Some people say he was the son-in-law of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, not so clear. And when he saw Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and his son, he was so he was crying. He said, I see you in such a terrible state. Your skin is peeling off. And Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai says, no, be happy. Why? Because look how much Torah I learned in the cave. Yeah, my skin suffered, but I learned so much tremendous Torah. So it says that uh, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai went to the bathhouse with his son, Tiberi went to hot springs and they got cured, the skin got cured. And he said, you know what? I owe Tiberia, Tiberius, the city, a debt of gratitude cured me. So what am I going to do? So he said, what can I do for you guys in Tiberia? So they said, you know, we have a big problem over here. There's a lot of dead people buried all over this place. And because of that, the Kohanim can't come in. The Kohanim at that time keep ritual purity, they still do. They're not allowed to go to cemeteries, not allowed to go near graveyards. A lot of people also would eat the tahara, which means they eat, they ate the food as it was tahor, it was pure from being, uh, from all the impurities. And therefore they said, we need to purify the Tveria. We need to know where the dead people are so we can avoid their graves. So it says he took uh, seeds, lupine seeds, and he threw them on the ground of Tveria. And wherever the trees grew, he knew they were dead people. That's how they knew. And he put a sign up. Kohanim not allowed to go near there, four, six feet away from these uh, graves. So that's the legend over there. There's a story of the Gemara. That's what he did to pay back. We see over here, Hakarata told the idea of paying back. If someone does good to you, you have to pay back uh, good things. So that's what he did with the city of Tiberia. So I just want to go a bit more into the story of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Who was Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai? And uh, we know this big festival we have. Recently, hundreds of thousands of people go to Meron every year on Lagba Omer. So Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is linked to Lagba Omer. And we remember the great man, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, uh, who died on this day. was something we're going to talk about. When did he die? Exactly, we don't really know. We're going to talk about 18 centuries ago. Imagine this, this great man lived 18 centuries ago, and he still has this tremendous impact. Hundreds of thousands of people go and visit the cave where he's buried in Meron. So he, the cave in Pekin was where he learned Torah with his son, and the, great, the cave in Meron is where he's buried with his son, Rabbi Lazar. There's two tombs inside that, that uh, cave. So hundreds of thousands go there every year on Langba Omer. So Rishim Bar Yechai was a young boy. He studied the great academies of Yavne, which was founded by Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, who died about the same time as Rishim Bar Yechai was born. So Yochanan ben Zakkai was, was the last great chief rabbi of Yerushalayim, Yerakodesh. He witnessed the destruction of Yerushalayim. He witnessed the destruction of uh, the Beit HaMikdash. He asked Vespasian, the emperor, to, to move the Sanhedrin. He could move it to Yavne. The emperor allowed him to move it to Yavne. And that's where the Beit HaMidrash, the great academy of the Sanhedrin, was for a long time after Rabbi Yochanan Zakkai. Uh, and that's where Rabbi Shimon Barachai went to learn. And his main teacher was Rabbi Akiva. The main teacher of Rabbi Shimon Barachai was Rabbi Akiva. That is the academy at that time in Bnei Brak, which we mentioned in the Haggadah, where the great rabbis were in Bnei Brak with Rabbi Akiva celebrating Pesach and reading Haggadah. And it says they stayed up all night. So attached did Rabbi, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai become to his master, Rabbi Kiva, that Rabbi Kiva called him my son. Rabbi Kiva called him his son, although he wasn't his son, he was a student. Students are also our children. We have to know our students are also our children, and our grandchildren are also our children. So we have children, our students, and our grandchildren, and our children, 
uh, are all called children and also have deeds. Noach. These are the children of Noach. Noach is Sadiq Noah was a Sadiq in his generations. So we see over there a person's good deeds are also their children. But a person's bad deeds can also be their children. So you person got to watch out what they do. Because whatever we do is associated with us. They are our children, unfortunately, or fortunately, it depends what we do. So during the cruel persecution of the, by the Roman Emperor Hadrian, we said, when the Talmudic academies were shut down, the study of the Talmud was forbidden on penalty of death. And Rabbi Kiva continued teaching in public. He continued teaching Torah in public. And his devoted student, Rabbi Shimon, stayed at his side until Rabbi Kiva was arrested and put in jail. Even then, says Rabbi Shimon, would go and visit Rabbi Kiva in jail and pleaded with his master, Rabbi Kiva, please teach me Torah, teach me Torah. These were very difficult times. And you couldn't teach Torah, you could learn Torah on penalty of death. It was also forbidden to ordain the students. So we know smicha in those days was a direct smicha all the way back to Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu gave smicha, gave ordination to Yoshua, Yoshua to the elders and so on and so forth. All the way down, there was unbroken chain of ordination of smicha, real smicha, not what we have today, um, but all the way down to Rabbi Kiva and Rabbi Kiva ordained Rabbi Shim Barachayim, Rabbi Baraness. Two of his five rabbis were ordained by Rabbi Kiva to teach, to give uh, halakhic answers. And then they were reordained, the five students of Rabbi Kiva were reordained by Rabbi Huda ben Buta, who was killed speedily by the Romans. So when was killed, it was forbidden to pass down ordination, to ordain any students. The Romans wanted to break the Jewish trade chain of tradition. They wanted to break Judaism completely. And uh, so the one who gave the smicha was killed. The students ran away and they escaped. So, so the five, these five scholars, uh, Rabbi Meir Balanes, Rabbi Shem Bar Yochai, Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi uh, Nechemia, some people say, Rabbi Lazar ben Shamua, they're all great students of Rabbi Kiva, they were ordained by Rabbi Huda ben Baba. Finally, the great, the cruel Hadrian, the emperor, died in great pain, and the decrees against the Jews were not enforced with the same brutality, but they're still enforced. The leading sages of the time gathered to find ways and means to renew Jewish life. And we find, again, this is where the story I told you, the three great rabbis met and they started discussing the Romans. And that's why the Romans decreed death on Rabbi, Rabbi uh, Shimon Bar Yochai. He hid in the cave and became with the son of Lazar. And, and now let's, let's catch up. He said, he, first thing he did after he went to the cave was he went to Tiberia to heal his body, and he'd, uh, he he uh, found all the graves in Tiberia, purified the, the city of Tiberia, and then he moved to the town of Tekoa, it's not the same Tekoa as it's today, he founded a great academy. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai had a great yeshiva, his own yeshiva, the greatest scholars of the time came to learn Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, among them was Rabbi Yehuda, the son of Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, who became known as Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. Rabbi the great prince of Israel, who was the editor of the, of the Mishnah. So the Mishnah was still oral at the time of Rishim Bar Yechai, and he was teaching all his students, or everything was oral. Everything was oral, and he knew, obviously, he knew the whole Torah Pe orally, and his teaching, and his student was the great Rabbi Yudha Nasi, who eventually wrote down the Mishnah. And uh, at the end of that period, again, religious persecution was increased, 
The Romans prohibited Shabbat. They prohibited other important Jewish laws like Brit Milah. The sages decided to send a delegation to Rome. Who is going to lead the delegation? Well, someone who can be trusted if, if things are needed to do miracles. And they sent Rabbi Shun Barichai, the head of the delegation. When they came to Rome, this is not a full story. You can look at the full story inside the Talmud. I'm just giving you the brief version. The Roman emperor's wife, uh, daughter became sick. And, no one, and the emperor was going crazy. His daughter was dying. He was very sick. And Rabbi Shun Barichai offered to cure her. And he offered to cure her, and the emperor was so happy. Shun Chai performed the miracle, and he cured the daughter. And he could take, his reward was to take the most precious thing in the Roman treasury. He goes to the treasury, and he finds in it the original decree against the Jews, written by Hadrian and his compatriots. He takes it, and he rips it up. And that was his reward. He got his decree revoked. And things from there, he got great salvation to the Jewish people. And he was one of the great teachers of Jewish law and ethics. And he got tons of, of laws in the Mishnah. Tons of laws in the Talmud is mentioned everywhere. Rabbi Shimon Barichai. I just named Rabbi Shimon. You know, it's Rabbi Shimon in the Mishnah. It's Rabbi Shimon Barichai. And he was one of the most lenient authorities in the Mishnah. It's always Rabbi, Rabbi Meir Balanes, Rabbi Huda, and then Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Shimon was one of the most lenient authorities in the Mishnah. So he was, he was Kabbalist, we're going to see, but he was also a very big halachist. He was one of the top students of Rabbi Akiva, if not the top. And he was a great halachist. And he was very, pretty lenient in halacha, usually very, very lenient usually in halacha. And he says, I'm going to give you some of his sayings in the Talmud, amazing sayings in the Talmud. And uh, one of he says, he says, I wish that human beings were created with two mouths. One mouth for study and one mouth for eating. And then he says, maybe that's not a good idea. Because uh, if a man, human being would have two mouths, they'd use one mouth maybe for study and use the other mouth to say Lashonara. Use the other mouth for saying bad things. So maybe it's not a good idea. Thank God we don't have two mouths. Even though he lived a life of recuse, he knew the importance of good human relationships. And when he explained the story of Yehuda and Tamar, right, the famous story, son of Yaakov Avinu, Yehuda, the fourth son of Yaakov Avinu, Jacob, who, um, it's a very strange story, he went out, and his, his wife dies, his two sons die, and he goes, and he finds this woman in the, on the crossroads, Tamar, and he thinks she's a zona, and he hires her for the night, and then he finds out later on that she got pregnant, and and uh, he didn't know it was his uh, daughter-in-law. He didn't know who it was. But, um, and he found out it was Tamar, and he sentences her to death because she got pregnant. She was his son, her, his daughter-in-law, and she, technically she was had to marry the youngest son as Yibum, and she got pregnant in the meantime with someone else, and she does not say who got her pregnant. She did not want to cause him embarrassment, she just said, whoever, whoever owns the staff and whoever owns this uh, belt and the signet ring, that's the one who got me pregnant. And he admitted, he recognized his belongings and he said, she is the one, I'm the one who got her pregnant and she is more righteous than me. So Rabbi Bar Yechai learns from there, it is better to be burnt alive than shame someone else in public. So very important, very important idea not to shame, embarrass other people in public not to humiliate anyone else, not to humiliate any person. It's better to be burnt alive than humiliate someone. Furthermore, he says, 
a person who has arrogance, a person with gava, is like a worse than idol worshiper. When a person thinks he's greater than anyone else, he may even think he's greater than God. If he's greater than God, then he's idolatry. And that's so gava pride is like idolatry. In, in the Pirkei Avot, Rabbi Shem Baruchai says there are three crowns, the crown of the Torah, which is a crown of Pippus who learns, and the crown of priesthood, the crown of given to Arona Kohen, the priests, the Kohanim, crown of royalty given to David Amelech, King David and his descendants, but the crown of a good name is the best crown you can get. The crown of a good reputation is the best crown. So that's something we have to perpetuate uh, life of the Avot, which is commonly learned these five weeks between Pesach and Shavuot, we're going to talk about. And that's one of the lines in Pirkei Avot, uh, written by Rabbi Shum Bar Yochai, sent by Rabbi Shum Bar Yochai. The three crowns of the Torah, of the kingship, of the priesthood, and the highest crown is the fourth crown. What is the fourth crown? The crown of a good name. Amazing, amazing. Having a good reputation is the most important crown a person has. And that's what we say. It's Friday, but at least we say this in Hashkabah, in a person's funeral. We say, Tov, Shem, Shem, and Tov. The best thing King David, King Solomon says in Mishlei, Tov, Shem, Shem, and Tov. A good reputation is better than good perfume. A good reputation spreads further than perfume. So that's from Mishra Bar Beautiful idea that there's a beautiful idea of a good reputation. Rabbi Shimbar is also the author of the Zohar, we talk about, and he's also the author of the Sifri, which is a commentary on the book of Vayikra and uh, Bamidbar. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, he also the author of uh, a lot of the uh, Talmud, a lot of the different parts of the Talmud, Rishon Bar-Yachai, the great author, and the Mechilta, which is the halachic commentary on the book of Shemot. So he was a halachist, a great halachist, and also a great Kabbalist. And Rishon Bar-Yachai died in Meron, in a village near Sfat, in the land of Israel, as we mentioned before. Many people go on the 18th of Yar, which is Lagba Omer, when they light candles and pray, it is great. I'm going to talk more about that. Is that is that is Yad Zayin? It's very unusual for Jews to celebrate with uh, joy the great sage's death. So, what are we doing on Lagba Omer? We're going to talk about it. So, he says uh, other sayings. He says, "Great is Hashem's love for Israel." He was one of the few greats who talked about Hashem loving us. Hashem loves Israel. Hashem loves the Jewish people. Great is the God's love for Israel. He revealed himself to them, even in a land of uncleanliness and idol worship, even in Egypt, which is a land full of uncleanliness, idolatries and magic and witchcraft and voodoo and all kinds of things. Hashem revealed himself to Israel. Look how much Hashem loves us. That even in an unclean state, he reveals himself to us. And he takes us out in order to free us from Egypt. Again, Rabbi Shimon says, see how beloved Israel is to God. Blessed be he, forever they went into exile. Divine presence, the Shekhinah went with them. They were exiled to Egypt, the Shekhinah went with them. They were exiled to Babylon, the Shekhinah went with them. And when Israel will be redeemed in the future, the Shekhinah will be redeemed with them. And God, thy God, will return with your exile. Meshul Barakhan says, wherever the Jews go, Hashem's presence is with them. As well as Hashem, soon we're going to be revealed, Hashem's presence will be revealed in Israel in the Beit of Dash. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was a great lover of the land of Israel. 
He says, no one should leave the land of Israel as long as there is something to eat at any price. As long as you have food on the table, as long as you can afford the food to eat, you're not allowed to leave the land of Israel. And he, he lives it out from the story of Ruth, which we're going to read on Shavuot. We have to talk more about it later on. The book of Ruth, what does it say? It says that uh, um, her father-in-law um, and her, her, her husband and his, and his brother and Naomi, and uh, they all went to the land of Moab because there was a famine in the land of Israel, even though they were very, very wealthy people. Elimelech and Naomi, very wealthy people. They were judges in Israel, a very famous family from the tribe of Judah. And they moved to Moab to escape the famine. Why? So the rabbis say because he was very tight-fisted. Elimelech did not want to provide for the Jews. He knew all the poor people are going to come to him if he has money. He refused to, to provide for them. He ran away and he took all his family to the land of Moab. And what happened was, Hashem punished him and killed him over there. He died. Elimelech died in Moab. His two sons died in Moab. Thankfully, one of his uh, son's wives no, uh, Ruth comes back with uh, Naomi, and she has a, she marries Boaz, and she has a child. And today comes King David. So good things did come from it, but we learn from there. Rishon Barachai learns from there is look what happens when a person leaves Israel. Poverty strikes uh, Elimelech, and death strikes Elimelech. And that's a very important idea not to leave Israel for no reason, not a valid reason. So on other occasion, Rishon Barachai says. And this became a beautiful song. Shalosh matanot natan Israel. Three gifts Hashem gave to Israel. <laughs> Torah, Eretz Israel, and Olam Abba. Hashem gave us three gifts. One of these three gifts, he gave us the Torah, and he gave us Eretz Israel, the land of Israel, and he gave us Olam Abba, the world to come. Okay, we have to talk about what that means some other time. Beautiful topic, Olam Abba. Then he says, he qualifies his statement, Hashem gave us these three gifts, but all three gifts are earned with trouble. We've seen this today. Eretz Israel is earned with trouble. We have to fight for it for every inch of it. There's wars, there's bloodshed, whatever it is, we have to fight for the land of Israel. The Torah also, it's impossible to learn Torah unless a person sacrifices. They've got to give their time, their energy, pay attention. It's so hard sometimes. You sit in the rabbi's class and it's so hard to listen. You've got to read the books, you learn the Torah. It takes energy. These three things require sacrifice. Olam Abba for sure. You know, I was once in a class in the yeshiva, Rabbi Yaakov Hillel, famous rabbi in Israel today. Uh, this is like 40 years ago. And he was say, saying this, this, this statement of Rabbi Shem Baruchai, three things, three gifts Hashem gave us, and all three things are required with troubles. And then he says, we want all three. So you can imagine we have three times as much trouble. So you want Torah, we want Eretz Israel, we want Allah Abba. These three things will be redeemed with troubles. But we are the ones, we want them, and we're going we're to get them in Roshim, we'll sacrifice for them. And then he says, he says a very beautiful idea. He says, never waste time. Never waste any time. Use every second of your life for good. It's so hard. It's so hard not to waste time, especially today. There's so many distractions, so many electronic distractions, so hard to talk about myself, so hard not to waste time. That's why it's important for a person to fix times every single day without fail. Fix times to learn, fix times with a habruta, fix times with a learning partner, fix times to learn, and don't stop, never stop. Those are fixed times. Those are sacred islands 
in the day. A person has sacred items in the day to pray, sacred items in the day to do mitzvot, to chesed, to acts of kindness, sacred islands of time, very important to fix times, to learn Torah, fix times. Then he gives an example. He gives a mashal, which is a story to illustrate this. There were two brothers. One was saving every penny. Brother saved every penny until he had quite a large fortune. The other brother thought, what's the use of saving pennies? So he spent everything. So always remained poor. So it is with learning, said Rabbi Shabbat If one learns two or three things during the day and two or three things at night, two or three chapters during Shabbat and the same during Rosh Chodesh, in time, the person will be rich in knowledge. But one who says, how much can I learn? I have so little time and waste those precious minutes will always be poor in knowledge. So grab those minutes. There's a shiva, very famous Musa Yeshiva called Nabardok. And usually you know, in shiva, you learn for hours on end. Over there, they had a set time to learn 20 minutes a day, a certain Talmud. Right? A certain tractate of Talmud. And after a year or two of learning the same tractate every 20 minutes, they finished it. So the rabbi tells him, he said, I want to show you what you can do in 20 minutes a day. You can finish a whole tractate of Talmud after a year or two. If you set aside the time, fixed times every day, even small amounts of time every day, it's amazing how much a person can learn. A person learns a page of Talmud every day. They finish the, the Talmud in seven years. A person learns a chapter or a day of Mishnah, he can finish in three years. A person finishes uh, the Rambam, we're doing three chapters of Rambam every day, he can finish in one year. So a person who fixes time to learn, it's amazing how much a person can learn. But the key is to fix time. That's what Rabbi Shimbari Chai says. By saving all those pennies, a person can become rich. By saving the time, which is, which is normally wasted, a person can be rich in Torah. So beautiful idea, Rabbi Shimbari Chai. And uh, one of Rabbi Shimbari Chai's students went abroad. Don't forget, Rabbi Shimbari Chai was the one who said, just learn Torah all day. Don't worry about money. Don't worry, it's going to come. And what happened was, everyone was in poverty. All his students were in poverty. And it says he had so many students, he had no place, no building big enough to teach them. They would go in the valley and he would stand on the mountain and teach them Torah. So one day the students, you know, they saw one of the other students left and he went to business, went abroad, went to business, came back very wealthy. And the other students, he heard them talking, we should leave and go and do the same thing. We'll come back rich and then we can learn Torah. So Shem Hai says, let's go up on the mountain. Come up on the mountain with me. And then what happened is he prays to God and the whole valley fills with gold coins. And he says, listen, this is your reward. You want your reward in this world or the next world? These, all these gold coins are going to be your reward. If you want them in this world, the next world, and you could have them now, and this is going to be a reward for, for learning with me, or you can have them in the next world. And they all wanted their reward in the next world. But that's the story. The story is that he was able to show people a little bit of their reward in the next world. Beautiful idea that we have to realize, we have to, we have to try and memorize this story and think, you know, I'm, I'm sacrificing my time learning Torah, I'm sacrificing my time doing chesed, I'm sacrificing my time doing mitzvot, I keep Shabbat, I keep kosher, what's going to be? Think about this story. That the, the reward for all this is going to be tremendous amounts of wealth, but not in this world. I don't want it in this world, I want it in the next world. I just want the basic necessities over here to do mitzvot. That's what I want over here. And the rest I want in my world to come is relishing we all see again in the world to come, wherever that is. And Hashem will reward us for all the mitzvot we do. But Rabbi Shem, Rabbi Shem Baruch Hai spoke very lovingly about Shabbat. 
said as a gift which God gave to the Jews alone. And the Jews and the Shabbat are a fitting pair. This is what the Roshim Barakai says. The Shabbat said to God, Master of the world, each day of the week has a champion, a companion. Sunday has Monday, Tuesday has Wednesday, Thursday has Friday, except for me, Shabbat. I'm the odd day of the week. Hashem said, don't worry. The people of Israel will be your companion. So that's from Hashem Barichai on Shabbat. He says also, if the people of Israel would observe two Shabbatot properly, the redemption would come immediately. So we all observe two Shabbatot. There's always someone who's it's so hard to get all the Jews to, to keep all two Shabbats in a row. Well, that's hard. Okay, Hashem. Then he said the importance of honesty and being truthful and good manners. He said to cheat someone with words is even worse than cheating them with money. Why? When you, when you cheat someone with money, you can always pay it back. You cheat someone with words, you can't pay it back. So one who enters his house suddenly without knocking on the door is disliked by Hashem. So you see the Kohen Gadol's clothes, one of the clothes, the Me'il, had bells on it. Why they have bells on it? Because when he went into the Holy of Holies, it says the bells would jangle and Hashem knew he was coming. You see that it's very important to knock on the door before you go in. And once Rabbi Shimon Bar was asked, why did the manna come down every day? Why didn't God just give manna for 40 years? Enough manna for two years, for a year. Why does manna have to fall every single day? So which Rabbi Shimon Bar says this beautiful answer. He says, the king had a beloved son. The king gave his son an allowance once a year and only saw him one day a year because that's the only time the son would show up and wants his allowance. So what happened is the king gave him an allowance every single day and this way the son would see his father every single day. And that's the reason why Hashem gave the manna every single day. And uh, Hashem, Hashem gave us Rabbi Shem and one of his big things he taught was unity. Unity. He saw unity in the world. Wherever he looked, he saw Hashem. He saw unity with Hashem. Hashem and the Jewish people and the Torah are all one. He saw unity in everything. And uh, it's a beautiful idea of unity. That's the Zohar talks about unity of Am Israel. And uh, the unity that Israel we will see in the coming of Mashiach together. We will witness, and there's a lot more to talk about, but we run out of time. I'll see you all next week. We're talking about Derech Eretz, the importance of Derech Eretz, which is... Tra- You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.